I just wanted um, today to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for everybody's participation last week. It was um, inc an incredible encouragement for all of us to be able to see campus walking across, people stopping and praying everywhere. And there was part of me that thought even in the middle of that, man alive, this is a Christian campus. We should be doing this every day. So I hope that you were emboldened by that and encouraged at time when you see somebody and you're passing somebody and there's a prompt within you just to pray for them, pray for that space, that we just did... Um, and graft that even deeper into the culture um, of this campus and of who we are. I want to start off today, going back to a slide I had up last week, um, the four focuses, foci that we're looking at in campus ministries this year. And I want to challenge you guys, that door, we don't require chapel, we don't require your attendance or participation in any of the faith formation activities on campus. And the reason why we do this is this is your season of life to start putting in place the things that are going to form your faith and the disciplines that you're going to put in place to take with you for the rest of a lifetime. So we're just going to challenge you. We're not going to tell you. We're going to challenge you. We're going to encourage you to, to take these pieces. We saw an overwhelming sign-up for small groups. You can still do that and talk to Sam if you didn't get in on it. And um, we're seeing prayer liven up on campus, opportunities to serve one another, and challenging you to, to, to make chapel a staple in your, in your weekly calendar and then pick one other event to attend as well. In chapel, we're going to start off talking about um, the Jesus questions. There's a couple of reasons I was really drawn to this study this year. Number one, inside each of the questions, Jesus has a unique approach to each person that he encounters. Every single one of you are at a different place. The Holy Spirit is having a unique conversation with each one of you. Each of you has your own questions at this point in time. So it honors the uniqueness of the dialogue that Jesus had with each and every person in the Gospels, just like he's having with you. But the other part about it that I absolutely love is the reminder in this that questions themselves are the builders of faith and not the antithesis of it. We grow up attending Sunday school, and the first thing we're told is to fill in the blank answers as our faith begins to get formed. But as our faith grows up, we learn to ask harder and harder questions. And Jesus models for us in the Gospels as he probes the depths of the human soul, as he invites people into walk with him, that he asks hard questions, at times ones that are not resolved in the moment, at times ones that cannot be answered in the moment. But there's something implicit in a question when you come to somebody with it, that there's an embedded belief in, by the very fact that you would ask them that question, that you believe that there's a potential for an answer there. And in the same way that we come before God with our questions— he comes with his own back to us. And in that dialogue back and forth, faith begins to get formed in incredible and powerful ways. I got to be part of an interview this past week with Christianity Today magazine, and it was all based on a larger study that had been done. And what they were realizing through their study is that faith was sticking and staying it was becoming um, more deeply embedded in college students who were attending Christian colleges throughout America— in proportion to the amount that they were allowed to ask hard questions at that college about their faith. That doubt and faith weren't polar opposites, but rather that they were two sides of the same coin. 
And the more freedom you had in your college education to ask questions about faith and science and how they related, or the origins of all things, or how you read different genres in scripture, or what do I do with the fact that there are horrible things happening in the world, or what am I going to do as this generation as we talk about LGBTQ issues and culture, and the church stumbles through its words, finding its way. What the study found is that people who had the more freedom to ask the hardest questions that they really felt deep down had the highest likelihood of having a faith that would be deeply embedded in them for a lifetime and for them to create the most effect of change in the world that they stepped out into. So I want to encourage you to ask your own questions. I want to encourage you to be probed by the questions that Jesus asks. We'll start with this one today. What are you afraid of? What gives you anxiety? What keeps you up at night? What did you fear when you drove back to college? When you came to campus this semester, what are you afraid of the most? Pulling off in terms of academics? Fitting in? Finding someone who will become a life partner? What are you afraid of? We're afraid of so many different things in life, and one of the questions of fear I was asking myself this week is, how much good in the world has not been done because of fear? How many beautiful things could we have piled up on this stage in all of our lives combined if fear had not governed our choices? See, nobody ever makes a good decision in the midst of fear. Fear Fear-based decision-making is not where you want to enter life. We don't take risks. We don't follow the prompts of the Spirit. We don't dare to do what we really feel called to do when fear is dictating our decision-making. And fears are irrational. Aviophobia, fear of flying. One in three Americans say they're afraid to fly. I actually think that's not right. It should actually be called phobia, because we're actually more afraid of crashing than we are of flying. There are a few of you in this room who were on an airplane with me a year ago when one of our engines blew up, and this was a very, very real fear to us in that moment, if you remember that. I will for a lifetime. Acrophobia. We fear we lose control when we're at a high height. I stare into this picture long enough and I get queasy in my stomach. This one's not a lot better. Arachnophobia. I have one child who is deathly afraid of spiders. I mean, you even say spider, and he starts screaming and freaking out. I know this is dark, but I hope it comes up clear enough on your screen. If you came to Iowa and you have astrophobia, fear of thunderstorms, you're in trouble, friends. (laughs) That's nothing. Wait till Chionophobia hits the fear of snow. (laughs) My friends from southern states, we are going to cure you all. You see signs all around the buildings here. Every one of them's got a shelter for all of you who have lapsophobia, fear of tornadoes. Or how about this one? How many of you would prefer to be standing here right now instead of me in front of a crowd? People are said to be as afraid of public speaking as they are of dying. 
It's intimidating mostly because it has to do with a certain category of social anxieties that we have, the fear of being in front of people, of being seen, of making a mistake, of being shamed, of being vulnerable. Studies I read said that 30% of all American incoming freshmen this year suffered from some sort of diagnosed or being already being treated social anxiety, fear, depressive sort of mental health. We have so many fears. We have so many of anxieties, and most of us, our greatest anxieties have to do with other people. What if somebody really figured me out? Every one of us struggles with imposter syndrome. I've been doing this job for 10 years, and one day I keep waiting for the time they're going to figure out that I have no idea what I'm doing. And every day I wake up and feel the same thing again. Or that if they only knew this about me, then they wouldn't trust me anymore. They wouldn't like me anymore. You ever felt like that about your friends? Or somebody you love? You see, it's presence plus our ability to be vulnerable that creates intimacy, and nobody can love what they don't know. And so when we hold our cards really close, we can't ever be known. And for so many of us, the cards we hold the closest are our fears. We never let anybody else see them. And we spend a lifetime in imprisonment to them. Which is maybe not surprising why in one of the first gospel stories in Mark, Jesus asks his disciples, why are you so afraid? But notice the question for him is switched. It's not what are you afraid of, but why are you afraid? Here's the context. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. But a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, and be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I love this scenario because it teaches us so much not only about our relationship to fear, but our relationship to Jesus in the midst of fear. And how even the hardest and most difficult and most threatening things of life in his hands have the opportunity to draw us closer to him. Not only that, but these aren't moments where Jesus is absent. Sometimes they're the places where we begin to realize he's actually the most present. That day when evening came, the story starts, he said to his disciples, let us go over. Jesus wants to lead the movement. Jesus is inviting them to come along. Jesus is taking them into a storm. Jesus is taking him into a storm where he's going to go to sleep inside of a boat where a storm isn't happening to him. Because think about it. Jesus was there at the beginning. It's his hands that separated the earth and, and the waters and the expanses and the skies and the stars. It was him who did that. And the hydrogen and oxygen molecules in the water that the boat is floating on and the ones in the form of raindrops that are falling from the sky are as much in his control in this moment as he is 
resting with his disciples and sleeping in the boat. He's dictating the movement and he's bringing him into this. See, usually most of us think that if we are encountering something difficult in life, we think we must have made a mistake. There might just be a storm that you're in right now that Jesus is actually leading you into. It's part of his design. It's, he loves you so much that he was not going to leave you on that shore and not take you into that storm. He needs the storm for you. There's something he wants to teach you in it. He loves you so much he will never leave you the same. But notice how the language switches. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. You see the switch? You know the story's going to head in a, in a bad direction when they take Jesus along. When we're not following him, but we believe that we're inviting him into what we're, where we're going. This says a lot about the things in life that we fear. Usually the stuff that we fear the most is the stuff where we don't believe Jesus is caught up into our moment yet. We think he doesn't see it. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Can you not see this? Where were you on that one? That's our kind of response we often enter into into those moments. Frustration with God. And this is happening to the point the storm's getting so bad, it was nearly swamped. They're almost at their breaking point. Jesus might just allow you in the hardship that you were in to get almost to the point where you completely believe you will not make it through. Jesus might just be okay. And Jesus might just be comfortable with you being uncomfortable. See, the crucible of faith often gets formed in the hardest things we go through. We're not masochists by nature. Nobody's going to wake up tomorrow and ask God to give them a horrible life or a difficult day. And I'm not suggesting that you should. The beauty of this in the midst of our faith tells us that in our mountaintop moments we celebrate with God, but in their deepest pits and in our greatest storms, here too God has the opportunity to shape us. If we'll allow ourselves to ask the right questions back. And that's really what this text is about. Jesus was on the, in the stern sleeping on a cushion. So Jesus is sleeping in the middle of their storm. He leads them into it, and then he's not frantic with them. And it seems like the more frantic they get, the more calm he is in the midst of it, because this is all part of his design, and he's okay with it. And when they finally do wake him up, he doesn't say, oh no, I didn't see this was coming. Let me, let me quick pick up this boat, and we're going to go to a lake where everything's calm and it's always nice. Because the answer to comfort in the middle of the storm isn't that Jesus takes you out of it, it's that he's in it with you. In the same way that Jesus came to meet us in the incarnation and to walk in our steps and to know our temptations and to be with you in your darkest moments. That is the goodness of the God that you serve. I even love the intentionality in this. Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. Like he didn't fall asleep in class. But it wasn't just an accidentally happened. If you, if you went and found a cushion, this is like purposeful. Jesus set this up. This is a hard way for us to think about the difficult things that we are going through in life. But what if? What if God needs this trial for you? What if this is the breaking down of your spiritual muscle in order to make you stronger on the other side? What if there is a you that God needs 10 years from now that needs to go through this struggle because it's going to be part of his redemptive plan? 
Maybe the purpose of your life is not to try to find the path of least resistance, never take risks, uh, let your fears dictate your choices so that you're always navigating and staying away from all the hardest things. What if that's not it? What if God needs this so you are stronger, more powerful, more able at the end because you're aware of his presence in situations and when everybody else is living out chicken little theology screaming the sky is falling and the whole world is horrible, that we have a generation instead being raised up who's telling everybody else in the middle of this, God is still God. And he is still good, and he is still faithful, and we are not alone. And it doesn't matter if we can't control the storm around us, because there is one who is here in the middle with us, and he will never forsake us, and he never has. And it doesn't matter if you question his goodness even in the middle of this, because he still is good, and his goodness is not up for grabs, even if it might be in our mind or our questions. There's a constancy to him in all of that. And he's inviting us into it. But he does hear their cry. He gets up and rebukes the wind, and he speaks to the waves. That same voice that spoke in Genesis 1, in him and through him and to him are all things. They have their origin in him. They have their end in him. This storm wasn't happening to Jesus. He's in the wind and the waves. He's part of it. It's all under his control. And so he sets up the question for them. Not what are you afraid of, or let's talk about your fear of storms. He doesn't lay them on the cushion and then do a psychological sort of examination with them. Instead, the question is why? Why are you so afraid? You see, there's this juxtaposition that gets set up in this text between fear and faith. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So I want you to test this question now against the things in life that you and I are the most afraid of. And I'm not talking about our psychological illnesses or our diagnosable anxieties that are often built among much bigger things. I'm talking about the things like when we fear the future. Or we make a decision not to step out in a new place where we believe God is calling us because our fears have dictated that choice. Why are you so afraid? Writing in Christianity Today, Dan Darling and Micah Fry said it like this. Referring to this text especially, the Bible sets up fear and faith as polar opposites. When fear rules, faith fails. Where faith reigns, Fear falls. They go on to say it like this. Fear is momentary atheism that denies God's goodness, his ability, and his plan. It reduces the majesty and power of God in our hearts and shrinks him as one who is effectively powerless. It deceitfully whispers the lie first spoken in the Garden of Eden. Your creator is not a good father. Is it possible that the fears that we have of the future we can't control and of the things that we're afraid other people would not like about us if they just knew that those kinds of fears, that those types of fears are actually just the places where we haven't found enough of our identity already in God, where we haven't believed enough of what he's said about us or about himself, that instead the real question there is that these, um, these moments and those places where we have the most fears are actually pointing out to us, they're yelling back at us, these are the places where you haven't let God in yet. These are the corners of your heart. These are the fears you have of the future that are showing you that you don't believe yet enough. And here, this is room for growth in your Christian walk. 
This is where God wants to increase the level of your awareness of his sovereignty. So you don't have to be afraid, because his desire is not to create fear within you. One of the men in that boat would later on go on to write what John already said in this chapel, that perfect love casts out fear. John was one of the disciples. He was in that boat and then writing to a church, struggling, having learned this lesson, having walked through those tumultuous waters with Jesus, now says, perfect love casts out fear. I've been challenged by this line so many times. I have it written down at home and I look at it over and over again. The fear is momentary atheism. I love that line because the challenge that it is. It's kind of just bold and right in your face, right? My fears reveal the places where I don't really believe in God. And I'm challenged by that. And I hope you are too. I hope there's a little Holy Spirit work getting done inside of you right now, pointing out those places where God's telling you, this is where I need you to take the next step towards my son. This is where your fears could be alleviated. This is where you're still trying to dictate the movement where he wants to take over for you. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And we'll close with this. I love it that when the storm is done, the disciples are actually more afraid of Jesus now It says that they were terrified. And the word used here describes a greater fear than the one that they had in the middle of the storm. So now they're growing in awareness of the size and the immensity of the God who was in the boat with them. And now they're really afraid. You want to talk about the fear of God in Scripture? This is it. 110 times in the Bible it says, do not be afraid. 110 times in the Bible it says, do not be afraid. God's design for you is not that you would be people of fear. And the way that we get around that is the ability to ask the same question the disciples do back to Jesus at the end of this story that doesn't yet fully resolve because their discipleship is still in process, kind of like yours and mine. Who is this? And as you learn to ask that question every day of your life, and your answer grows in clarity, our fears get pushed to the periphery. And we stand in greater confidence and we develop greater momentum as the disciples did as they asked this question, who is this? May you ask this question every day of your life. Who is this? May you be comforted in the middle of a storm, not because you have the ability to fix the storm, because you're growing in an awareness that God is with you in the middle of it. And may the answer to this, the who on the other side, become the most familiar thing to you in the entire world. May you know his voice. Stand on his promises. Be empowered by his spirit. And be called to hard places. Become the answer to the other questions that other people who are hurting in this world are asking because that is your job. And that is your calling. As you go in his name and represent his presence. I don't know what your hardship is right now or what's coming to you yet this year. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus is going in front of you into that. May you have eyes of faith and not eyes of fear. May you see the one who sees you. And not try to cure your fears by yourself, which will only lead to more fears, but by simply asking the question, who is this? Will you pray with me? 
Father, it's so good to be reminded how good you are. We come at the beginning of the year and we are excited for the year ahead. But we also come with mixed emotions. And sometimes even the last emotion we can control, fear. God, we ask that we would not be people of fear. We ask that instead perfect love would take its place. We ask that you would use fears not as a thing to hold us down, or as they are so often in the hands of the enemy, lies. Would you dispel the lies that fear tells us about who we are, about what we can do, and instead empower us through the real truth that your perfect love came to cast out fear in every corner of our hearts, to teach us to ask, who is this, and lean further into you, and let you lead us, even if it's stormy outside. In Jesus' name, amen. We rise and receive a parting blessing. My friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope your day is absolutely amazing. And if for some reason some part of it is not, rest assured your Jesus is there too. Go in peace to love and to serve a sovereign, reigning, loving God. Have a beautiful day.